Hello, and welcome to this special edition of our OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we are bringing you interviews with our top 20 Omni stars for 2022. This award was developed in partnership with Corso to recognize the top omni-channel operators based on the headlines and the work they are driving in their respective organizations. I'm Ann Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are pleased to welcome to the show today, Colin Yankee, Executive Vice President, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Tractor Supply Company. Colin, thanks for joining us and congrats on the award. Yeah, thank you for having me and uh, appreciate the recognition on behalf of uh, the entire Tractor Supply team. Yeah, how are things down in Tennessee, Colin? Uh, Tennessee is wonderful. Uh, you know, Nashville is a great booming town. Uh, we've had a lot of people move to, to Tennessee, and uh, it's great for us because it means we can attract great talent here and, and uh, project that out across our entire organization. So, um, you know, Track Supply has been on a great run the last couple of years and uh, navigated successfully, so it's a great place to be in retail. Yeah, you guys have really been killing it, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about for sure. We want to ask you a lot about that. But before we get started, we want to give a special shout out to our partners at Corso, without whose support OmniStars just quite frankly would not have been possible. No. Corso is a tool your field leaders will actually thank you for. And it turns all the reports into personalized top priorities, then helps them take the right actions to boost performance. Learn how leaders at over 25,000, yeah, 25,000 US stores, that's a lot, <laughs> are saving time and driving impact at Corso.com. All right, Colin, you and I have known each other for a while now. Uh, we've even done interviews together in the past. Yeah. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about Tractor Supply to start for those that are maybe new to it. And then tell us about yourself and your career because it's really interesting. Sure. So Tractor Supply, founded in 1938, we operate 2100 retail stores in 49 uh, states. Um, you know, I wear tractor supply gear all the time when I'm out traveling. And yeah, you I do. One, I get one of two reactions. I uh, either get um, kind of some awareness of the brand, but maybe never really engage with it, especially for a lot of people who live in areas that, um, you know, doesn't necessarily cater to the lifestyle we serve. Or I get um, very intimate feedback of, hey, my store in McKinney, Texas, and the store manager there, Uh, she's great. And here's the product I think you need to carry. And here's what I bought there, right? Like it really supports uh, people's lifestyles. And we call that, um, you know, the life out here uh, lifestyle. So we're a farm and ranch retailer at its core, but we serve a lifestyle of people who are kind of do-it-yourselfers. They could have, you know, an acre of grass and enjoy gardening with, uh, you know, support pollinators and birds and, you know, feeding their dogs have five acres with, you know, backyard flock and some goats running around, um, all the way to, you know, people working on job sites, um, and, you know, their workwear and their apparel and their, um, you know, things that, that go into helping support that. Um, so we really love taking care of those, those customers. And we do it in a format that is, is really unique, um, small convenience size stores. So okay. oh. our average store is only about 15,500 square feet. Okay. Uh, so Small store format um, allows us to be really productive. We're moving a ton of variety and shapes and sizes and right. cube and all that kind of stuff through through the stores. We pack a lot in there. Um, so we apparel and workwear, animal food and feed, um, truck tool and hardware kind of parts, okay. uh, seasonal goods, and then you know you can hit a little country chic home decor. You know <laughs> while you're in the middle of the, of the court center court there. Um, we got pet. Uh, washes and vet clinics in our stores. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, that, that is a, 
a huge competitive advantage for us because it allows us to locate in these smaller communities. We're in very productive stores, but great sight lines in the stores. So mm-hmm. you're not searching for a team member um, okay. to, to you know, find help. And I think part of the secret sauce really is uh, we hire our customers into our stores. Oh, okay. Uh, so they, they live the lifestyle. Um, you know, they give you seasoned advice on products and recommendations. Um, they know their customers you can, be, you can build those kind of clientele relationships um, without even thinking about it, right? They just live in those communities and they help support their customers in that way. Um, so it's more relational retail versus kind of transactional retail. So a little bit about Tractor Supply to you know, really unique uh, business model. So I got So I got to ask you, are you selling tractors too? Like, is no. that, are you, you're not actually supplying tractors. Okay. It, so uh, I grew up in Southern California. And when I came to work for tractor supply, my family was like, you're going to go sell tractors. Like that's, you know, they knew my retail <laughs> right, history. Right. And um, so, so it started out as a, uh, you know, tractor supply parts catalog, you know, it was, it was direct to customer before, you know, direct customer was okay. the same thing. And then um, opened up uh, the first store in Minot, uh, Minot, North Dakota, North Dakota. Wow. And, okay. uh, you know, where the founding was. Um, and, you know, we sell lawn tractors and we'll sell you some parts and things like that, but it's mostly um, everything you need out besides the tractor, you know, out there. Got so, it. yeah. Got it. So, okay. So now back to you then. So, so tell us, how does one become a chief supply chain officer? Yeah, uh, I always wanted to ask that of somebody. How does one? Sure. How does one choose that career path and find his way to that role? Especially yeah. such a diverse range of products, too. Sure. Um, so I, I lucked into this job. Um, so when I got out of the military, uh, uh, another veteran um, hired me at Target. Okay. And um, you know, I think they're kind of two different career paths people in supply chain can start to you know develop one is to be a master of a functional area so really understand distribution or really understand international transportation really understand mm-hmm. planning and build a phenomenal career there or become a master of orchestration know enough about each of those kind of areas where you can kind of build this career lattice and then move into a position where you can understand the trade-offs between each of the different functions and kind of stitch it all together to achieve outcomes for, for, uh, you know, whatever enterprise you're supporting. And I was very fortunate to, um, at Target, when I started there, trust the path. People picked jobs for me, right? um, put me in jobs that I was unprepared for, uh, you know, but figured I would learn about it and give me a lot of exposure to a lot of different areas. Um, and then, so I went from there to Neiman Marcus. Um, so went from, you know, moving Tide and toothbrushes, right, to, you know, Christian Louboutin shoes and things like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, the opportunity here at Traction Supply came, came uh, you know, open um, and has just been wonderful for me uh, to be able to do that. So I think you get to get, get to a job like this um, by, one, um, having a love for the field, um, you know, taking care of your team members in the distribution centers, really focusing on um, how you service the stores, and then understanding all aspects of the supply chain the best you can so that you can create a vision and, and apply it. I think that's, you know, what I've seen as the, as the, as the model of at least the current chief supply chain officer. Well, Colin, I have to ask you now, so you're, you've gone from selling luxury goods yes. to, you know, animal feed. Mm-hmm. What, how do you, with all of that range of customer, how, what does omni-channel mean to you? 
Yeah, I'm sure. Well, hold on. is this like a hot button question for y'all, or do you get well, like a thousand different answers on this? Uh, yeah, we just started asking it yeah. actually as part of this series a little bit. We haven't asked it in every to every Omni Star. No, I don't okay. think not not as directly. Um, uh, but it's you know it, for for the last few years it was like a hot button word. Like you could get people really keyed up on the word. Right. Sure. Um, so it's kind of fun to bring it back in and now get you guys who are you know quite honestly doing it the best. You know, yeah. in our opinion, from reading the headlines. It's kind of fun to get your take on what does it actually mean to you? How would you describe it? Well, uh, um, I'll give you one man's definition, um, but I, I do believe that words matter. And yes. so um, I think of it in really kind of two different terms, um, omni-channel and unified commerce, mm. two terms that get used a lot and often interchangeably. Um, but for me, there's a real distinction. So okay. omni-channel for me, you know, focuses on consistent cross-channel experiences for discrete activities. So things like targeted marketing or browsing checkout, you know, the optionality for customers to, you know, choose how they want product to engage with it and have those services delivered to them and really allowing customers to choose their preferred touch point for an activity um, with a consistent experience as a retailer, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of customer facing piece, I think what gets ignored in that definition Mm -hmm. and kind of left behind often is all the activity to make it a consistent experience for us as a retailer. Um, and the tying in the back end. And that's where I think unified commerce, you know, my definition of unified commerce comes in, which is if omnichannel is a consistent front end of, you know, single view of the customer, uh-huh. then unified commerce is a connected back end through an accurate okay. view of inventory, integration between digital and all the physical touch points, um, the right organizational structure and incentives and metrics. Right and tools to deliver that front-end experience. So when I hear people interchange the terms, I try to doctrinally kind of correct them, at least internally here at Tractor, so that we can say, are we working on Omni, are we working on Omni-channel things so that customer experience, you know, consistently across the front-end, mm-hmm. and let's not forget unified, you know, commerce on the back-end, how do we tie it all together so we don't have this, like, dysfunction in our organization? Got it. So that's interesting. So you're using Omnichannel to really explain it from the consumer side of things and how the consumer and then unified to explain all the work that the retailer really needs to do and get done, which yeah. I got to imagine organizationally is helpful too, because people can get yeah. so caught up on the front end side of things yeah. where you forget the blocking and tackling on the backside. It probably, does that language help you drive home that message of like, Hey, we've got to proportion these activities correctly and in balance. It helps me, but even internally, um, you know, we, we we're guilty of using the terms uh, differently and right. It's like, it's like, um, like anything else you're trying to trying to shape how people think about the problem they're trying to solve and the outcomes they're trying to, trying to achieve. And so, um, I, you know, I have a bias towards operations where, where I grew up. And so, um, I never want that to be left behind because we all know with a lot of projects, um, you, there's always phase one. And people say, oh, we'll do that in phase two. Right. Do you ever do phase two? Right. right? Do phase two ever come? Right. Especially you know, so, retail. Retail is right. notorious retail, for getting right. to phase one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, a lot of a lot of retailers who are operating stores and digital businesses and integrating all those kind of things, of course, we want to take care of the customer first, but we have to unify things on the back end to make it sustainable over time, mm-hmm. not wear people out, not confuse the customer and really make the engine pump. Well, that's interesting too. It's fun to, it's fun to talk to all you guys about this because like for me, like, and I think for Ann too, the way, the way I think about Omnichannel is actually it's defined by all those foundational 
back end elements first. And I would actually make the argument that that's actually what you have to clean up more so than anything on the front end before you even try to do some of these things, particularly on your side of the business, the supply chain side, in terms of you know, how the ordered management systems are working in conjunction with the point of sale systems and all that. Would you agree with that? It seems like you do. You're shaking your head. Yes. To- totally. Um, and I think uh, that's, that's the piece of those core and foundational kind of capabilities that ultimately unlock the future opportunities for how we service the customer mm-hmm. um, and do it in a much easier kind of fashion versus muscling everything. Right. And making, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we have an obligation to be profitable we want to reduce costs for the customer and be an everyday low price retailer. The way we do that is through great execution in the systems and making sure everything's aligned. And the last thing we want is, um, you know, one side of the business who's looking at it from a digital standpoint, not looking right. at it through the same lens as, you know, your team member who's working in a store, right? right? That we have to unlock that, you know, you know and, and that takes you know, planning and unifying things from front end to back end. Well, that's what, that's a great segue, actually, because what I was going to ask you next is, you know, and I mentioned this in the outset, too, is you as a company, Tractor Supply, has had an incredible shareholder return over the last 10 years. I think it's even surpassed Amazon in terms of raw numbers. Um, so you're clearly a retail success story when it comes to the financials. Um, and central to this success is really your sustained focus on your supply chain investment. So I'm curious, I'd love for you to tell the audience what are some of the key lessons you've learned along your own personal omni-channel journey that you would impart up onto others? Sure. Um, yeah, you're one of the few people who's ever kind of picked up on tractor supplies. I like that, that sleeper stock, right. And performance right. in the sense of, uh, um, just the, the phenomenal performance. Um, you know, tractors had a great history. One of the top five best performing stocks on the S and P 500 over the last uh, 20 years. And wow. yeah, you know, only one negative comp sales year in the last 30. And that was 2009. It was negative 1% when the rest of retail was just like in wreckage, right? Right, right, right. So it's a really resilient business model, but that makes it really tough when it comes to supply chain. Um, So I already mentioned we have that small store format, but we're Mm -hmm. pumping a lot of volume and a lot of cube and variety through those small stores. Um, so we have animal food and feed, which is that traffic driving, um, fairly predictable, uh, but high volume kind of, um, you know, product we have seasonally sensitive products. So simple example, um, water hose, right? We sell water hose all year, but Mm -hmm. it spikes at certain times a year. And right now with the drought at West, it's spiking, you know, um, even more. Um, and then we have those one-time kind of buys and purely seasonal items, that we have to manage. And when we talk seasonality at Tractor Supply, you know, it's not like seasonality, like Valentine's is on this day and right. Easter is on this day, back to school is this time period. It's seasonality based upon weather or the price of oil, right? Because we service oil field stores around um, you know, drought, you know, those kind of things. So our supply chain is really designed around being highly flexible to how inventory behaves. And, um, you know, from, from a standpoint of our company supporting that, we've really focused on core and foundational execution systems um, so we can just operate consistently across the board. So when we want to roll out a change, we're not rolling out 10 or 12 different changes. We're rolling out one or two changes, uh, you know, out, out, to the, out to our network. Um, you know, we've focused on really purpose-built flow paths 
So we look at how does inventory behave? And you know, one of the things I preach to my team is the only reason a logistics network exists is to effectively deploy inventory, right? right. That's how we project power as a, as, a, as a retailer. So we're always looking at that from our design and decision-making process. How does inventory behave? How's the customer want to engage with it? And how do we activate it as early in the supply chain as possible so that they can tap into it digitally as well? Um, and then we look at investment in team and talent. Um, so uh, one, that's just the strength of you know, the decision-making, decentralized decision-making um, allows people to be very adaptable. Mm-hmm. But I really do believe on my team right now, we've probably got five future chief supply chain officers. Wow. Uh, you know, like a couple who are senior, senior leaders, but a couple who are analysts, individual contributors right now. And they may not be here at Trash Supply, but they'll be somewhere. And we take the approach of investing in talent that can impact the profession in the industry, not just our, our business. Um, then we focused on prioritization and synchronization of our processes, right? So planning is aligned with inventory, aligned with our vendor base, aligned with transportation, aligned, aligned with distribution centers. And then finally, just a massive test and learn uh, you know, environment, um, where we can just dig into testing new things. Got it. So I'm curious too, but I'm, I'm curious too, Colin, like when you think about the lessons you've learned, like, you know, like tactically, what steps would you recommend others take? Like, where would you recommend they place their investments, uh, you know, to get a handle on this? Like you guys have been very successful. So that brings you one point of view to that question. How would you recommend other retailers, you know, possibly in different industries, you know, sure. different verticals, what would you tell them to do? Like, how should they put one foot in front of the other? Yeah. Um, I think it's very difficult to execute your way out of a planning problem. Um, and I think where a lot of retailers and just operators focus is on trying to solve things that show up physically in their supply chains okay. and don't take it all the way back to the leading indicators and the inputs from forecasting or mm-hmm. uh, the planning systems and the planning processes in order to avoid problems downstream. And mm-hmm. so of course you have to have a great kind of physical logistics network and the capability to, to deliver product in all kinds of different ways. But planning is I think where the battles are won. Right. So great process, great talent, great accountability, as much visibility and as many systems as you could, could put into planning is like an ounce of prevention versus pounds of cure later. So um, I and I didn't grow up in planning, but I've become like a planning zealot. Um, really? you know? And so that would be my um, my mandate to, to others. So interesting. So so you think investing in planning technology is, is something that's essential here. Absolutely. Uh, you do. Okay. I'm curious too, because somebody, somebody actually asked me to ask you this for the podcast because they were curious to get your take on it. And I kind of retail nerded out on the question. So yeah. I'm going to ask it to you now here. I'm going to move it up in, in where I initially had a plan to ask you it. But since you brought it up, like wh- what do you think forecasting looks like over the next decade? Like how will technology continue to impact that particularly since you singled it out as, you know, one of the most important places to have a focus to be an omni great omni-channel retailer? Yeah, th- this is really top of mind for me because um, we just completed ripping out our 16-year-old forecasting and replenishment planning system um, and okay. putting in a new putting Sounds in a new fun. system. Yeah, it's it actually not easy is, either. Not not easy, but you know, uh, let, let's say 
Um, it's a success because nobody has noticed so far. Oh, right? that's good. That's exactly. a definition of success, right? Yeah. It's like a doctor first do no harm, right? Yeah. So we've done no harm. And um, I, we've been um, eager to do that for the last couple of years. But uh, the, for me, the technology just wasn't there. Um, okay. And we've seen it advance to a point over the last couple of years where the ability to really achieve the promise that I think will, will be in the next 10 years, the, the foundation is there. So the ability to ingest loyalty program information, the ability to, to uh, take in um, all the data we're generating from our customer transactions, mm-hmm. weather, pricing and promotion, the amount of space, uh, competitor activity, um, all the vendor performance, right? All those things are there. And we're moving from this kind of looking in the past trend analysis. Right. Now looking at that is a you know good starting point, but what's going to happen in the future? Right. And forecasting is just getting better because of the algorithms and capabilities. But the real promise is how's that then feed into scenario planning for your supply chain? How's that feed into predicting for your merchant team total landed cost or in-stock outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, if something's going to be delayed and late, how do you communicate that to your store team? So if they're going to flex space, right? right. Or I think most importantly, in, in hopefully not 10 years, hopefully five years, we're at a place where we're a lot better in where we put inventory based upon how the customer wants to, to get it, mm-hmm. right? Well, so- how much do we put in stores versus how much do we hold back and where do we put it based upon the delivery mode? Right. Well, and Colin, a lot about what you're talking about here is planned at headquarters, but you know, is impacted. And a lot of the feedback is coming from once all of these things are put in place at the store level and what the store associates are seeing in your role specifically, how are you kind of embedding the importance of these processes of whether it's planning or supply chain um, how are you kind of creating a feedback loop with the employees that are in the stores to understand what's working and what's not? Sure. Um, our, our store team members on the front line, they're passionate about product and serving the customer, right? And so nothing is worse than disappointing the customer, right? And so they, they um, are very um, vocal about product availability, product depth, and the product they need. I was in a store in Nebraska last week. And um, I'm walking and the store manager says, hey, Colin, in January through March, we need a pallet drop of, of this kind of product and we need another pallet drop of this kind of product. And you're not going to see that in your sales history because of X, Y, and Z, right? right. And so there's that anecdotal feedback, but um, I'll, I stole this quote from somebody, I don't know who, but it's that um, data is the plural of anecdote, right? And so huh. we we have routines to collect all those anecdotes that we don't see in just our, our, our information that we're using to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, every Monday at three o'clock, I can tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in a room you know, behind me here with our store operators, all of our merchants, our supply chain leaders, and our pricing team. And we do a correction of errors and an after action review from the previous week and what's coming for the next week. And then that routine feeds into a series of, you know, sub uh, sessions with our stores and our DCs to disseminate that information, but it's all aligned, right? Mm-hmm. So our, our store teams never have to worry about how do I get my voice heard? How do I, you know, provide feedback? Cause they always know there's a form to do that both okay. digitally okay. and, you know, through their, their leadership team. 
Um, and then for me, the entire supply chain for a store comes down to the trailer that shows up at the back door, right? They don't care about all the other touches. It's, was it on time? Did it have good fill rate? Was it yeah. safe? Right. Yep. And so just like we want to, you know, delight our customers who come through the front door, that's our mission for the supply chain to set our team members in the stores up for success. And so when we fail at that, um, you know, we have all the mechanisms, same mechanisms to let us know so we can coach our teams on it. Yeah. The number one way to still probably tell that a store is well run is how does that back room look day right. in and day out? Right. A hundred percent. And I, I didn't think about this too, Colin, but one aspect that you made me think about as you were talking there was your, your customers probably drive a good way to get to these stores too. Right. So there's an onus that you have what they're expecting you know, at that time, which probably puts another degree of emphasis on what you're talking about, which I think is important for the audience to know, right? Right. So um, we're primarily a needs-based retailer. So customers are coming to us when they have a need. Um, some of that's a predictable need, but other times it's something broke, right? Um, yeah. I was in a store in Texas this week and uh, there was a, a, a crew in there who was buying hydraulic oil and some parts to fix a, a you know, machine they had out on a job site, right? And so that's a small business owner who, um, if he can't do his job, he, he can't get paid. And so he, we need to have that product in stock and available for him. And so it's, our average customer drives about 17 miles one way to come to one of our stores. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a, it's a healthy trip. So inventory availability, inventory visibility for that customer, right. it drives a lot of our buy online pickup and store because they're reserving that inventory to, to make sure they have it. Um, so all those execution things really, you know, drive that customer experience. You talked about inventory vis visibility too, which is, I think, honestly, I would say it's probably the most essential component of good omnichannel retailing. What are you guys doing in that arena? How are you tackling that problem? Like is RFID something you're looking at? Or are you trying to accomplish it through other means? Talk a little bit about that if you can. Sure. Um, the answer is it depends, but it okay. all comes back to perpetual inventory accuracy in the store, right? Okay. Like, yep. You know, um, I, I would say running a DC is pretty easy when it comes to inventory accuracy because it's all located. You don't have customers walking around moving things around, right? And so, um, you know, in our stores, the main focus is on perpetual inventory accuracy um, so that we can drive up that byline pickup and store fill rate, drive, up, drive down the cancellation rate for our fulfill from store mm -hmm. and make sure that if a customer does make that one-way drive into a, into a store, that we're in stock for them, right? And we can get replenish, replenishment there. And as you know, for me as a supply chain operator, the better inventory accuracy I have there, the better in stocks I can uh, funnel into the store because I'm getting good accurate information for, to replenish them to. So um, we are looking at, and we're, we're experimenting right now with more RFID in our apparel area and footwear. It's really, um, right. you know, set up well for that. And it's right. the most progressive area we see from people we benchmark with. Right. Um, for, for, uh, for that, um, other technology also on power tools and those kind of areas, which are higher kind of more, uh, uh, price price point items, right. um, we're doing that. And then, um, you know, a lot of systems in our stores, uh, to help support where the inventory is being located, uh, okay. because we operate these small stores. Um, we may not have enough shelf holding capacity, but we can put the inventory in different kinds of spots and quickly get it back and replenished into being available for the store. And then I think um, the, the last kind of component is we're really focused on deciding by category of inventory or product, how much inventory do we expose online 
to be able to be fulfilled, you know, mm-hmm. digitally? And how much do we suppress so that a customer who comes in has product there to meet that need? And that varies, you know, seasonally and varies by, uh, you know, kind of product type. So the logic there is getting super sophisticated. So still working out the algorithms that you want to give the better availability to promise essentially to your customers day in and day out. Absolutely. And not disappoint the customer who isn't, you know, maybe on our app or looking at the inventory before they come in. Right, right. Yeah. Both, both sides of that. All right. So, so with all that said, which has been a great interview, I love this interview so far, uh, what what challenges are keeping you up at night? Because supply chain is like, honestly, it's kind of an overused term right now. The supply yeah. chain shortages or the supply chains are such an issue for all these retailers. Like, what does that really mean to you when people say that? And what are you thinking about? Like, what keeps you up at night when you're talking to your board and that kind of thing? Sure. I, I'm going to go back to the earlier question you asked, like, how do you get in this position? Yeah. I think, I think one of the core attributes of people who, who are in these jobs is you have to, like, have either like read all the stoic philosophers or be covered in Teflon because mm-hmm. like you just can't take things too personally. Right. right. Uh, you know, um, it's, it's, a, it's a, um, there's always going to be challenges out there. There's nothing keeping me up at night. Um, and, uh, because I think we can control a lot of how we respond to external things. The thing I care about the most and yeah. that kind of more top of mind are, um, the care and safety of our team members out in our distribution centers. Mm-hmm. Um, ton of hard work. They are industrial athletes who make the supply chain work, right? And so how do we treat them well, give them a fair deal, communicate to them what's going on in the business and honor their work, right? Those are the ingredients for, for that. Um, so is that, sorry, Colin, the study, yeah. but so like, so should I interpret from that? Like the staffing side of keeping the supply chain running is front and center in your mind. Ab- absolutely. And, okay. you know, I talked about how we hire our, our customers into our stores the 650 people who work in each one of our distribution centers um, are generally not our customers. They could very easily go work at an, another retailer, another kind of industrial uh, kind of place that is in their general vicinity. But they come to work for Tractor Supply because of how they're respected and communicated by their frontline leader, right? Our entire brand comes down to that supervisor at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday who takes care of that team member. Right. When I'm asleep at home and in, 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 in bed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that second thing that's top of mind for me is um, we've grown. We've doubled our, our volume in the last three years. Jeez. And how do I transform our supply chain and our delivery model to get more volume through our same small format stores? Um, so the, what, what I'm doing today is not going to you know cut it for the future. Um, I think the, the most nerdy, we you know maybe nerd out on uh, yeah. on uh, forecasting, but the most nerdy space that I geek out on is OMS logic, order management system yeah. logic, and how to make yeah. great decisions there. Um, and then uh, I think every retailer and board conversation, I had a board conversation two weeks ago on this, is um, global sourcing and how do we resource product that is maybe too dependent in China and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's a lot of global uncertainty and really invest in supplier development for things that are not as easily moved out of, out of China. It's going to be a multi you know, year uh, process. For right. That's yeah, a long effort. Right. Well, Colin, I, there's something that I really 
appreciate about what you were talking about earlier. It's one, the amount of time that you as a C-suite executive are spending in your stores, which yeah. we don't hear often, which no. is another reason why um, we've chosen you as one of our Omnistars. Um, but also just, I think the, the breadth of team that you're working with, like from the distribution center employees down to the store employees, down to the team at HQ to make sure that everybody's kind of got the right um, tools to help keep the store offering the customers the very, very best experience. But I want to know, uh, we have this segment called the pay it forward section. I want to know if there's anyone specifically, as you kind of think back to all of those touch points you've had throughout tractor supply, who you'd call out, um, for being best in class when it comes to delivering for and delighting the tractor supply customer. Sure. Um, so we exist at our store support center to support our stores and the 44,000 team members that are out there. And um, the gentleman who leads our stores, his name is John Ordis. And I think he's just built a phenomenal team from, you know, the front lines all the way here to our store support center. But there are a couple of people on his team who I think really make the magic happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to developing the strategy um, and then putting it into, into reality, uh, there's a gentleman named Michael Diedrich, who is uh, our VP of store productivity. Um, So all of our new initiatives kind of roll through his team. Um, He has a a partner. Her name is Mary Lolly. She's our vice president of store administration. So she kind of handles all the new technology rollouts. So theatro devices that are giving communication to all our team members, mobile point of sale to make sure that we're um, engaging customers down the aisle. All that stuff works through Mary's team. And then Letitia Webster, who is our senior vice president of Omnichannel, She's really the architect, cheerleader, accountable (laughs) partner, person who makes sure that unified commerce piece um, really hums between our app and our website and our uh, taxonomy and master data, right? All that kind of stuff. You know, she's the person who can go from like way down in the details to way up in the strategy. And those three are powerful, powerful kind of combo for, for our organization. She's an omni-channelist, Dan. I'm, I'm coining that term, sure. an omni-channelist. Sure, <laughs> that sounds great. I, I like that. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Colin, so much for uh, for being with us today, for sharing all the knowledge that you have uh, with our audience. Uh, that was Colin Yankee of Tractor Supply Company, one of our 20 Omnistars for 2022. Uh, thanks, Colin, for sitting down with us today. And as always, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in and be careful out there. <laughs>